Our scripture reading today is from the book of Genesis. It will be easy to find in your Pew Bibles, page 2. We'll be reading from Genesis chapter 1, starting at verse 26, through verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 3. <clears throat> Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth, and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth, and all the birds in the sky, and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. May God bless the reading of his word. Father, we just ask your blessing today on Pastor Mark as he brings the message that you have prepared for him and that you've laid on his heart to bring to us. Father, we thank you so much for the fact that you've created us in your likeness and we pray that we would be able to, with your help, live up to the... the uh, image that you, that you have given to us and that you have given us uh, the model for. We just ask again that you will bless Pastor Mark as he speaks, and may our hearts be prepared to receive the word. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Ron. Well, yesterday was a big day for our last charter member who is still with us, Betty Campbell turned, we think, 102 or 103. We, there's some discussion about that, and, uh, but we think 102. And uh, here are some pictures. That is her, her daughter, Diane, and Diane's husband, Dennis um, Bunio. And there, is, uh, there are two best friends for almost their whole lives. Uh, Betty is there on the, on the left, and Shirley Mercer uh, sitting a little bit lower on the right. Uh, dear uh, friends and dear Bethesda people. Uh, as it turns out, Shirley also was here on the first day for Bethesda Church's life on July the 16th, 1944. But she was, I think she said, 13 years old. And she wasn't yet a member. So she's not technically a tr charter member, but she's been here our whole time. And there's, there's lovely Betty once again. So... Um, Let's pray for, for Betty and for uh, Shirley also as they uh, continue to represent 
uh, Bethesda, but more importantly, as they continue to give testimony to the Lord's grace and goodness to them. Lord, thank you for this opportunity for us to celebrate with Betty her 102nd, or third, but we think 102nd uh, year. Um, We thank you for the testimony that she has given so many over these many years. We pray your continued blessing upon her and her family, and also for Shirley, Lord. We're so thankful for her as well. And uh, we look forward to uh, being with them uh, more and for them to continue to to live well uh, these lives that you've given them. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I get started this morning, I'd like to briefly thank those of you who have been praying for me and for our family during this time of transition. Um, your deep love for us has been very clear and very comforting and, and very encouraging to us, and so I'd, I'd just like to thank you for that and take a, take a pause to do that. I'd also like to ask you, as our friends and our faith family, to pray for my dear, sweet wife, Shelley. Um, Through no fault of her own, and as her organization's director of operations, uh, Shelley's had an incredibly, unbelievably, ridiculously stressful and exhausting couple of weeks. This after the sudden, unexpected death of a key member of their leadership team and also a friend. So they've had to continue to uh, rally the troops while they were also grieving over the loss of a dear friend. The funeral was yesterday, and it was just down the street at Bethel Mennonite Church. Um, and afterwards, we were happy to provide some space downstairs for the members of her organization, Abundance Canada, who flew in from all over Canada to rest, relax, visit, and grieve together for just a bit. And so Shelley got home, I guess it was, it was about 8 o'clock last night. So, And that's been kind of the way it's gone the last uh, couple of weeks. So continue to pray for her. Oh, yes, and her next Royal Roads University Master of Executive Leadership degree academic semester semester for the new year begins tomorrow. And so, uh, so uh, let's pray for Shelley. Lord, I thank you for my wife. I thank you for her, her strength and her, her strength of character and her stamina. But she has really been tested these last days. And so I pray that you'd be with her. She's watching now, um, and she didn't know I was going to do this, but... Um, I pray that you would give her some rest and some, some ability to recover and recuperate and uh, be at her best uh, for you and for those around her, including our family. We, we're so, once again, thank, thankful for her, and uh, we pray that you would uh, restore her uh, completely and, and well. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you can see on the screens behind me, The title of my message for this morning is Culture or Creator? What are we? Who are we? And who says? And the sermon, the message, is on our identity. Who are we? It's such a massive topic, I've cut this sermon into two parts, and I'll bring part two next Sunday. And it's in the context of Pastor Yuri's current series, or his series that he just got started the last couple weeks, uh, and that is, for where your heart is, or where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Two Sundays ago, he began uh, this series that comes from one of Jesus' most famous teachings, where your treasure is, 
There your heart will be also. I probably have to turn this on before it'll work. Oh, yeah. Um, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That first Sunday of the new year, Pastor Yuri offered a sermon on the proper use of and our relationship to time. Time. The big idea I took from his message on time as a reality worthy of our attention and stewardship was the reminder that none of us know how much time we have. This being the case for us all, we should do the best we can individually and collectively to use the time we have in ways that will count both now and into eternity. Then last week, he offered an equally timely offering. Did you notice what I did right there? One person noticed what I did right there, Michelle. He offered an equally timely offering on a biblically appropriate use of and relationship to money. The most notable truth I took from that excellent message is money carries the value we assign for it to it, not the other way around, which then frees us up to invest it well, beginning with our support of the local church. And then also last week, I thought his sharing with us the central truth of the message right up front worked quite well, so I'd like to follow his lead. Here, here is my central truth of the message for this morning. Every human being derives our true and eternal identity from our one and only creator. Every human being derives our true and eternal identity from our one and only creator. Indeed, there is a sense in which he identifies himself with us and vice versa. But we'll get more into that later on in our message and especially next Sunday. But for now, let's begin to address our identity as a third treasure, if you will. Our identity as human beings, our identity as Christians, our identity as men and women, our identity as husbands and wives, mothers and fathers, sisters and brothers, even our identity as people of Bethesda. A common thread that connects each potential treasure, uh, treasure with all the others is that they all can either accrue to our good when we keep them in their proper place and use them properly, or they can become for us idols, objects of obsession, objects of misuse and abuse, even objects of worship and that they can get between us and God and can even subvert and take his place in our lives. Now, we might wonder how we could make our identity an idol, a thing of obsession, a thing of misuse and abuse, even getting between us and supplanting the place of God in Christ Jesus' place in our lives. Well, it's very easy to do, and it's very easy to demonstrate. Here are a few examples of how we can get it right or get it wrong. Question number one. I'm asking you, us, but... Yeah, you. If I asked, who are you? Is our first response likely to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Or might that be our second, third, fourth, or, or even our implicit identity to others outside the church? Do we consider ourselves Christian first, above and before all other points of self-reference? Who are you? Question two. Do we allow others to define us, or, or do we define ourselves first by our nationality, our ethnicity, our people or language group, our social class, 
or even our sexuality? Or do we make clear that our first point of self-reference is as children of God, Jesus' disciples? Question number three. Do we agree with the Bible's clear revelation of truth concerning God's deliberate, purposeful, and intentional creation of you and every other human being who ever lived, both today and in the past, and will, will, will do so in the future? And do we derive our sense of identity from him? Is following Jesus Christ as his disciples the first and controlling lens through which we see ourselves and present to the world around us? Now, I don't know for sure, but I'm guessing some or parts of those questions were challenging for some of us this morning. Next week, we'll get into the cultural moment we're in. But for now, where do we get our sense of identity? Individually? Collectively? As a faith group? As a people group? As a nation? As human beings? What are we exactly? Who are we? And who says? Well, if you're not already there, I'd like you to turn back with me to the book of beginnings, also known as the book of Genesis, which begins, for your convenience, on page two, apparently. It was on, it's on page one of mine, so um, I'm not quite sure what page one would be there. I guess maybe it's just the Holy Bible uh, page uh, in the Pew Bibles. The book of Genesis, chapter 1. Now, the first thing I want to say, both this morning and especially for next Sunday, is that from this point forward, I'll be trying to present the clear, convincing, and compelling biblical Christian vision of our shared identity as human beings, according to God's word in Holy Scripture, and our redeemed identity in Christ Jesus by God's word and spirit. Most of all, that means I'll not not be presenting my personal opinions or even my best thoughts on some of the various hot-button issues of our day, even those related most closely to our identity, whether as human beings or as disciples of Jesus Christ. I want us to be able to see everything we say about our identity directly in and from the text of Scripture. For that reason, I'll be offering a positive proclamation of the biblical Christian truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ as applied specifically to our identity. I came across an incredible headline last week. When I read it, I could hardly believe it. A huge question of human inquiry, even of science, has been answered, supposedly. Here was the headline, also the title of a recent article in Popular Mechanics by Tim Newcomb. Quoting here, scientists solve a 1.75 billion year mystery about how life materialized on Earth. The secret was hiding in tiny fossils. And I, I, I put the secret was in hiding, what was hiding in tiny fossils uh, intentionally because that's the way it is in the article. It's almost like, uh, I don't know, it seemed to me like it was, a, it was an embarrassing thing or something that the secret was hiding in these tiny fossils that you can't see without a microscope. Um, here are just two representative sample excerpts. Quote, In a new study published by the magazine Nature, a team of researchers claim that microfossils found in the desert of North Australia, microfossils in the North 
desert of Australia, show off the earliest known signs of photosynthesis. And that could mean, uh, it actually says that in the article, that, that, that could mean a better understanding of how all life could have begun. This discovery allows the unambiguous identification of early oxygenic photosynthesizers and a new redox, redox proxy, that means a chemical reaction, um, for probing early Earth ecosystems, highlighting the importance of examining the ultrastructure of fossil cells to decipher their paleobiology and early evolution. Okay. When we Google the area of study known as evolutionary biology then, we come upon a descriptive introductory entry defining the so-called science of evolutionary biology. And as we read this brief excerpt of a definition of what continues to be a study of still unproven theoretical speculation, please notice the declarative confidence of the entry. Basic, basic and positive assertions uh, are, are assumed facts rather than the humility befitting a mere theory. Evolutionary biology is the subfield of biology that studies the evolutionary processes, natural selection, common descent, speciation, that produced, past tense definite, that produced the diversity of life on Earth. It is also defined as the study of the history of life forms on Earth. Evolution holds that all species are related, so humans and grasshoppers, and gradually change over generations. Whatever our belief about the age of the Earth and the cosmos, something on the order of 3,500 years ago, around 1500 BC or so, the Holy Spirit moved Moses to write a much more simple, timely, clear, and frankly believable account of both the creation of all that exists and the origin of life. And by the way, no PhD in evolutionary bi biology required. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Simple, timely, clear, believable. Best of all, no PhD of any kind required. A second grader can read it, understand it, believe it, immediately apply it, and live according to it. But the most supposedly learned among us struggle to begin comprehending its profundity and not only evolutionary biologists. Now I'm going to read from the first verse of the first chapter of Genesis, and I want you to listen for two things. First, I want you to listen for references to God. Specifically, I want you to listen for the Hebrew Elohim because I'll be reciting the text using the word Elohim where it occurs in the, the biblical Hebrew text. And this literally means God's plural. You, you've heard my sermon on this, but it, it, it still to, to this day fascinates and awes me uh, that how the text is telling us who God is in great detail. Elohim means gods, plural. Elohim is the plural of El, or God in Hebrew. And it's the very same word that refers to the gods of the nation, 
nations, the Elohim of the nations, the false gods of the nations. Same word, not applied to the one true and living God. But when Elohim refers to the one true and living God of Israel, it takes a singular verb and a singular masculine personal pronoun, he, him, his. So plural subject or plural noun, but a singular verb and singular masculine personal pronouns, he, him, his, except as it turns out, when he speaks to and among himself in the text, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. So Elohim. The second thing I want you to listen for is the creation and reproduction of all the living creatures, quoting here now, according to or after their own kinds. It's as if the Holy Spirit anticipated the well-meaning, erudite, but false theory of evolution and makes it clear in the text. No, God deliberately, purposefully, and intentionally made all that has been made and all the living creatures after or according to their own kind. And oh, by the way, he made you and he made yours according to your own kind as well. Listen as I read Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 25. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was out form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God, or the Spirit of Elohim, was hovering over the face of the waters. So there's the Holy Spirit, in addition to an inclusive reference in Elohim. And Elohim said... Let there be light, and there was light. And Elohim saw that the light was good, and Elohim separated the light from the darkness. Elohim called the light day, and the darkness he called night. Notice the darkness he called light, night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And Elohim said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And Elohim made made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And Elohim called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And Elohim said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. Elohim called the dry land earth, and the waters that we were that were gathered together he called he called seas. And Elohim saw that it was good. And Elohim said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which in which is their seed, each according to its kind, on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the third day. And Elohim said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. 
And Elohim made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night, and the stars. And Elohim set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the fourth day. And Elohim said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So Elohim created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And Elohim saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And Elohim said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the and Elohim made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So the thing I want us to see and hear and kind of process here this morning as we consider these first 25 verses in, in one, one kind of summary statement is this. With careful deliberation, unity of purpose, and good intention, the one true and living God, the triune God, created all that has been made, the heavens and the earth, everything in the heavens and on the earth, everything animate and inanimate. Now, I admit that I'm no scientist on any level in any sense of the word. But I am a Christian. I do have some education. And I do also try to correlate my beliefs and my behaviors as closely to the Bible as the Holy Spirit will enable me to do. So my apologies for any offense to any and all sciencey people out there. I love you too. But I swear, science, modern, contemporary, and future, has not and will not ever come up with a more eloquent, a more, co- more, co- more coherent, a more beautiful, and a more rational explanation of how creation came to be and how creation continues to be sustained by its and our creator than we have here in the first chapters of the book of Genesis. So here's my application, whether we're sciencey or not. How about we take the creation account as true and then lay it as a template over our understanding, our best understanding of science, which is changing all the time, hopefully for the better. From the perspective of faith, this is an entirely appropriate approach. All truth is God's truth, and all truth, if it's true, will lead us to him. And then we'd have a much better chance of getting it right, top to bottom, through and through. With careful deliberation, unity of purpose, and good intention, 
the one true living and triune God, Elohim, he created all that has been made, the heavens and the earth, everything in them, everything animate and inanimate. Now, I'd like for us to look at the next couple of verses, but I'd like to give you the summary statement first because uh, I think it'll help us to understand what's, what's going on here. Here it is, number two. With equally careful deliberation, unity of purpose, and good intention, the one true living and triune God, he created humanity uniquely and graciously to image him, to bear his likeness, and to represent him on the earth. So in verse 26, we see then Elohim said, this is just so beautiful, Elohim said, so Elohim, singular verb, masculine, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. There is in the Godhead a conversation that is happening here between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I know we can't get that from Genesis chapter 1, but, but I don't think we do any violence, either theologically or biblically, to the truth when we bring in what we know to be true from the New Testament, that God is triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then we find here that God is plural, Elohim. And the best way I can communicate this, uh, and it is in the language of physics, is that God is a plural singularity, or he's a singular plurality. Maybe even we could both are are equally accurate descriptions. And can we understand that? No, I don't think so. But here it is in the text. Then Elohim, God's said, singular, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them, watch that now, and, and, and let them, who, who are they? Well, we'll get to that in a minute. Let them have dominion over the fish in the sea and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, so Elohim created man in his own image. In the image of Elohim, he created him, male and female. Oh, there's the they. He created them. And we turn to page to verse 28. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. With equally careful deliberation, unity of purpose and good intention, the one true living and triune God, he created humanity uniquely and graciously. No other creature, no other creation of God is given this privilege to image him, to bear his likeness, and to represent him on the earth. For the life of me, I I cannot understand why parents, sciency or not, would rather teach their children or have them taught that they are no better than and no worser than, because what could be worser than, to believe that they are random accidents of the cosmos. You're just an accident, son. You're just an accident, daughter. We're glad to have you, but your life has no meaning, no purpose. Because you're an accident. 
That's just the way it goes. So, here may well be the most important thing for parents and for our children to hear this morning. You are not an accident. You are not an animal. You are a child of God. You have been created deliberately, intentionally, graciously, and uniquely in his own image. And you derive your identity from him. And so do I. And so does every other human being who ever lived or who will ever live. There is no other alternative. If, if we believe the biblical account, if we take it as it is, you are not an animal, you are not an accident, you are a child of the living God, and he loves you and sent his son for you, Jesus Christ, that you might be restored to him. And part of that means restored to image him and bear his likeness and represent him on the earth once again. Finally, we're almost done. Acceptance of, submission to, and delight in God's design, God's will, and God's word concerning our identity in him attracts, put the stars around because attracts is an important word here. And I got that starry thing from Phil Tan. He does that. If you see him in his correspondence, if there's something important he wants you to notice and not miss, he puts two stars on each side of it. So I got that from him. Acceptance of, submission to, and delight in God's design, God's will, and God's word concerning our identity in him attracts his provision and his favor to us and for our kind. There's no way around this. The, the, the Bible is full of promises from God to his people that if we will live as he instructs us to live according to the design that he has made us, he blesses us. And we see that very thing from verse 29 and following. Really, verse 28 also, he blessed them. But 29, listen, and Elohim said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant or food. And it was so. Verse 31. Don't miss this. And God saw, Elohim saw, everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So that gives us just the barest of essentials to address this issue of God's intention for us concerning our identity. Who are we? What are we? And who says? Well, we are all, in a very true, true sense, <clears throat> as human beings, Children of the living God, for he made us. He created us. He set in motion a process. Uh, we can call it natural because it's in this world by which we would become human beings created in his image. 
after our own kind. Deliberate, purposeful, personal, and gracious. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So Elohim blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, Elohim rested from all his work that he had done in creation. We can't get around it. We can't go under it or over it. We must own it. If we want to be biblical Christians in our place and time, we are created in the very image of the one true and living God. Amen. Well, next week, how Jesus came to restore us to God's good and eternal purposes as a a major part of his redemption for us at the cross and in the resurrection. But that's next week. Let's pray together. God, our Father, God, our Son, your, your Son, God, the Holy Spirit, Elohim, We thank you for creating us in your very own image. I pray, Lord, that none of us will leave this place confused about his or her identity. And that whatever it has been, it can be recovered in Christ. Clearly, as we'll see next week, one of the things he did he came to do was to restore us and our capacity, our our ability to image you, to bear your likeness, and to represent you on the earth in our place and time. May we do that, Lord, freely, willingly, joyfully, delighting in how you have made us. Not making an idol of ourselves or anyone else, but grateful and worshiping for you alone are God. In Jesus' name, amen.